please turn to uh, the book of Romans once again. Romans 5, a few moments ago. Romans 11 right now. Uh, Romans chapter 11. We will be reading uh, verses 33 through 36. We come this morning to the final sermon in our series on the five solas of the Reformation. Uh, Soli Deo Gloria to God alone be the glory. And before I read, um, I, I start by raising a question, and the question very simply is, what is your response to what we've looked at the last four weeks? I was talking to uh, one of you yesterday, and, and we were saying that, that doctrine always leads, or should always lead, to doxology. Doctrine should always lead to praise. Uh, we have looked the last three Sundays at the fact that salvation is by grace alone, because we were spiritually dead. It is by faith alone, because that's the only way that we may receive the, the grace of Christ. And it is in Christ alone, because Christ is the only Savior. Now that's not um, just merely doctrine. That is doctrine that is to impact us. That is to, to change our hearts in a sense. It is to move us. And if we are not moved by this, then we have to wonder it's really, if it's really impacted our hearts. And so, again, how does the last three Sundays, the, the salvation that comes by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, how does that change you? What is your response? We're going to look at Paul's response from Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Johann Sebastian Bach. Maybe you've heard the name. He was an 18th century uh, German composer and musician. Many regard Bach as one of the greatest composers who, have, who has ever lived. Bach signed most of his works with three letters. S-D-G. Soli Deo Gloria. Because Bach wanted to make the point that all that he did in composing music, everything he did was for the glory of God. Now Bach is no different than us as Christians. This is what all of us are called to. All of us are called to, to bring glory and honor to God in all that we do. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so whether we are farmers or teachers or nurses or stay-at-home moms or students, whatever it is that we do, we are called to bring glory to God. This phrase really stands out when we come to the end of this series on the five solas. In other words, the, the only fitting conclusion to the fact that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the only fitting thing to say is, God, you are the one who has done this. And because of that, to you belongs all the glory. That's why we exist as a church, not to make much of ourselves, 
but to make much of him. We, we preach Christ, we preach the good news of God's salvation, God's free grace to sinners to make much of him and to bring glory to him. We're going to look at this short passage this morning, and I want you to notice three things. First of all, there are two statements. And then the third thing is a question. And so first of all, we look at the fact that God is incomprehensible. Secondly, God is sovereign. So those are the two statements that we will look at. God is incomprehensible and God is sovereign. And then third is a question, how am I to respond to this God? What is my response to this great God? Now, before we get into the details of this passage, we we need to understand how all of Romans has been building up to this point. In the first part of the book of Romans, uh, Paul lays out the universal sinfulness of mankind. He he brings out the fact that, that we are all sinners, Jews and Greeks, we are all sinners. Chapter 1, he talks about how sinful man has suppressed the truth of God, and because of that, we deserve the wrath and the judgment of God. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, Paul again talks about God's righteous judgment, and he says that, that no one deserves to escape this judgment. We all deserve it. And then chapter 3, Paul says that all people, Jews and Greeks, are all under sin. There is no one righteous, no, not one. And he ends that section by saying in chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It means every person in this room is a sinner. Every human being who has ever lived is a sinner. All have sinned, Paul says, and fall short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. It's really bad news. I'm a sinner. I break God's law in what I do and in what I don't do. I don't desire God, I don't seek God, and I can't change my condition before God. That's the plight of every human being by nature. But then starting at the end of chapter 3, Paul shifts and he starts giving us good news. And for the next several chapters, chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, all of those chapters, Paul exalts the grace of God that comes to us in Jesus Christ. In fact, if you have your Bible open, I want you to notice some of the things Paul says about God's grace. Chapter 3, verse 24, he says that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Chapter 5, notice verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 8, we read this earlier. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look over at chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look over to chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Chapter 8, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then chapter 8 ends with that great statement, there's nothing in all creation that can separate you from God's love. And so you get the point, right? For, for chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter, Paul is talking about God's grace. He's talking about the free gift of salvation. It's grace that we don't deserve. It's grace that we haven't earned. And, and when you really think about it, it's overwhelming, isn't it? To think of what God has done for us. What do we do with this knowledge? What do we do with the fact that, that God has saved us sinners by his grace? Well, we stand in awe of it. We, we marvel at God's grace to us. And our passage this morning is Paul's inspired response to all that he has been saying up to this point. It's Paul's response to, to him meditating on what God had done for him. And it's a reminder to us that, that this is no mere academic exercise for Paul. He's not teaching a, a seminary class of truths that he doesn't really experience himself. It's a reminder to us that this man, Paul, had been truly impacted by the things that he had been writing. Children, do you know what a, do you know what a musical crescendo is? A musical crescendo is where the, the music keeps building up and building up and building up and it gets louder and louder and louder until the, the music hits a peak, like really loud. There's a sense in which that's what Paul is doing here in Romans. For basically eight chapters... Paul has been highlighting the saving grace of God to sinners and it keeps building up and building up and building up from the end of chapter 3 all the way through chapter 11 and now we get to the end of chapter 11 and you have this great musical crescendo. It has hit its high peak as Paul responds to all of these great truths and the first truth that Paul focuses on is that God is incomprehensible. Look at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Now, the apostle Paul was no dummy. Paul was a very learned, very brilliant man. And yet, as, as brilliant as Paul was, he, he couldn't wrap his mind around God's amazing plan of redemption. And it really is an amazing plan. Those of us maybe who have grown up in the church, we, we maybe take it for granted somewhat, but it really is an amazing plan when you think about it. First of all, there is the fact of who we are. You and I are by nature sinners, every one of us. But secondly, there, there's also the fact of who God is. Children, we confess that, that God is holy, God is just, and God is righteous. And, and because of that, God can't just look the other way with regard to our sin. 
He, he can't just say, you know, I'm going to let him slide this time. I'm going to let it go. If he did that, he would no longer be just. And if he's no longer just, he's no longer God. Instead, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, God is terribly angry with the sin that we are born with, as well as our actual sins. And so God must punish our sins by his just judgment both now and in eternity. You might remember one of the verses that we looked at last Sunday morning uh, in connection to sola fide was Galatians chapter 3 verse 10. And Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all things written in the book of the law. If you don't keep all of God's commands, you are cursed. That's what Paul was saying. And so you can picture Paul writing this letter to the Romans and, and he's, making, he's making this airtight case. He's making a, a case for something that, that cannot be disputed or refuted. We are all sinners. We've all broken God's law. We all deserve God's judgment because God is just. Now at the same time that we confess God is just, we also confess that he is merciful. Exodus chapter 34 says God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So we, we know that God is just and we know that God is merciful. And here's one of the questions that the book of Romans answers is how can God be both just and merciful? In other words, how can God be just and punish sin, but at the same time be merciful toward us? I mean, it seems like a real conundrum, if you think about it. It seems like a real predicament. How can God, on the one hand, not betray his justice, but how can he not betray his justice and also be merciful? Because on the one hand, the Bible is very clear that God is holy. On the other hand, the Bible is also very clear that he is, he is merciful. You ever wondered that before? How can, how can God forgive my sin without compromising his character? How can God forgive me without compromising his holiness and his justice? And this is why the gospel is so profound, because this is where Jesus comes in. Children, when, when Jesus died on the cross, did he die for his own sins? Now, the correct answer is no. Jesus was and remains sinless. He had no sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he, he died in our place. He was our substitute. He, he died for our sins. He took the judgment and the punishment that we deserve. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, this is how God is both just and merciful in our salvation. His justice was poured out on Jesus so that his, his mercy might be poured out on us. 462 years ago, there was a man by the name of Guido Debray. 
Guido de Bray wrote a document that we know as the Belgic Confession of Faith. It's, it's one of our doctrinal standards. And, and he wrote it to, to explain what the Bible teaches about certain important doctrines. And since I think it would be good for you, if, if you would like to, to see what I'm about to read, if you would take the Forms and Prayers book in front of you and turn to page 173. When, when we grasp this, when we grasp what Debray says, when we grasp what I'm about to read, it, it makes the gospel really come alive in a sense. Article 20 of the Belgian Confession of Faith, it's page 173 in the little Forms and Prayers book. It, it summarizes how God can be both just and merciful in saving us from our sins. Notice what Debray wrote. We believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and also very just, sent his son to assume the nature in which the disobedience had been committed. In other words, he, he took on human flesh. In order to bear in it the punishment of sin by his most bitter passion and death. So God made known, notice, his justice toward his son who was charged with our sin. And he poured out, notice, his goodness and mercy on us who are guilty and worthy of damnation giving to us his son to die by a most perfect love and raising him to life for our justification in order that by him we might have immortality and eternal life. I remember over 20 years ago when I was first reading the Belgian Confession and when I really understood that and what Debray was writing, it was amazing. God is both just and merciful. And on the cross, Jesus received God's justice so that I might receive God's mercy. And when we grasp this, we, we are like Paul. Oh, the depth of this good news. Oh, the depth of this knowledge. I, I cannot, I cannot wrap my mind around the greatness of the gospel. I cannot fully comprehend the incredible grace and mercy that the Lord has shown to me. I mean, can you fully comprehend the wonder of your salvation? Can you fully comprehend how, how you deserving of judgment will never receive one second of God's wrath. That's amazing. R.C. Sproul wrote this. He said, never in this world or the next will the finite be able fully to grasp the infinite so as we stand in wonder and awe before what God has revealed of himself and his word, we are moved to doxology. I can't fully understand it. 
And so I say, Lord, how, how deep is this knowledge? How wonderful is your gospel? Paul further writes about God's incomprehensibility and, and in verse 34 he asked two questions. Notice the first one, verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has known the mind of the Lord? There's only one correct answer to this test. Only one correct answer to this question and the answer is no one. No one has known the mind of the Lord. Now this doesn't mean we know nothing about God. As I said to you earlier, God's revealed himself in creation. He's revealed himself to us in his word. But do you realize that what we know about God is just scratching the surface of who he is? One of the blessings of eternity is that we will spend forever and ever growing in our knowledge and understanding of God. Notice the second question Paul asks in verse 34. Who has been his counselor? Has God ever come to you for advice? Have you ever given God counsel before? Of course not. This is one of the problems with what we know as Arminianism. It's this idea that, you know, God is waiting on us. God is always reacting to us. That in a very real sense, you know, God's hands are tied, that, that there's not really all that he can do if we don't act first. If, if you think that, I, I would encourage you to, to put that kind of thinking out of your mind because it's nonsense. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is described in Psalm 115, which was our call to worship. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. He's described in Daniel 4. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back God's hand and no one can say to him, what have you done? God is described in Habakkuk 2. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. I'm convinced that, that one of the things that the modern day church needs is a bigger vision of God. A bigger understanding of who God is. God is not a bigger version of me or you. God is, God is infinite. He is eternal. He is almighty. He is majestic. And, and when we consider who he is, that, that we're just kind of scratching the surface of this knowledge, and when we consider the greatness of his plan of salvation, we will be like Paul and say, oh, the depths of these truths. It's incomprehensible. I can't wrap my mind around it. But I praise him that he's done this for me. There's a second truth that Paul brings out, and that is that God is sovereign in verse 35, he, he writes, who has given a gift to him, meaning God, that he might be repaid. Now, you may or may not know this. This is a quote from the book of Job. Now, many of you know what the book of Job is about. In, in the book of Job, there is this question that is being asked all throughout the book of Job. It's the question, why? Why? 
Job loses his possessions. Job loses his children. Job loses his health. And and the question that is persistently being asked throughout the book is, is why? And for most of Job, for most of the book, God is silent. God doesn't answer Job's question. And and then, if you've read Job before, you know there's this great scene in chapters 38 and 39 where, where God basically puts Job in his place. And he puts us in our place. And and God says to Job in that section of the book of Job, who is this that questions my wisdom with ignorant words? Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. And over and over in those two chapters, 38 and 39, God causes Job to see who the Lord really is. That he is sovereign over all things that he will do what he will do. And at the very end of that, in in Job chapter 40, Job finally comes to his senses and he says in Job 40, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. And it's in that context In the very next chapter, in chapter 41, that the Lord says, who has first given to me that I should repay him? That's the verse Paul quotes here in Romans 11. You see the point? The the point is very simple. God is the sovereign ruler over all things. He does according to his will. He is under no obligation to give me answers. He's not swayed to do something because we do something for him. And when it comes to our salvation, God is not paying us back for something that we have done for him. For example, think of the the doctrine of election. The Bible teaches that God chose those whom he would save from before the foundation of the world. And and his choice was, was not based on anything in us. His choice was not based that we were better than other people or we were more deserving of other people. His choice was not based on our foreseen faith. His choice was based on none of those things. It was his sovereign choice. That's the point Paul makes in Romans 9 when he says, though Jacob and Esau were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Brothers and sisters, we we have to continually remember from beginning to end, salvation is entirely of grace. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's why he brings this quote up at the end of chapter 11. Salvation is not God paying you back for something you did for him. He is sovereign in salvation. Paul says also in Romans 9, God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy and he will have compassion on whom he will have compassion. Aren't you thankful 
that God is sovereign in your salvation? Aren't you thankful that you don't have to go home tonight and lay in bed and wonder to yourself, have I done enough? Have I been good enough? Have I passed the test? You don't have to do that. Because salvation is God's work in and for you. And God's sovereignty then frees us up to preach the gospel to all people and to trust that God will save whom he will save. And and so Paul comes to the end of this glorious section on the gospel and, and he says, first of all, God is incomprehensible. I can't fully grasp the wonder of the gospel, but I believe it. And I worship God for it. And then he says, God is sovereign. And I rest in his sovereignty. And all of this leads to a question. And the question is, how am I to respond to this God? This brings us full circle from the the beginning of this series. How do I respond To a God who is incomprehensible, to a God who is sovereign, how do I respond to the fact that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from anything that I do? We must not be apathetic toward God. We must not be indifferent toward him. We must not ignore him. We must not say, oh, that's a nice little theology lesson. It has to hit us, doesn't it? The proper response is in verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Don't forget the context. The context is that for eight chapters, Paul's been talking about the gospel. He's been talking about God's grace. And so Paul ends this section with this marvelous doxology about our salvation. And he says three things. First of all, he says, my salvation comes from God. I'm not the source of my salvation. I didn't didn't come up with this brilliant plan whereby God might save me. I didn't come up with this this perfect argument where, where God would go, You're right, you are worthy of salvation. It wasn't my plan. If it was left up to me, I would be lost forever. But from before the foundation of the world, God determined to save a people for himself. Christian, from before the foundation of the world, he determined to save you. Salvation is from God. Second, my salvation comes from through God. Not only did God plan our salvation, but he also brought our salvation to reality. God didn't say, okay, here's the plan, and now it's up to you to carry it out. God planned it, and he brought it to fruition. Children, you know that 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, Jesus, to this earth. And Jesus came to this earth for a very specific purpose. It was to live a perfect life that we couldn't live. It was to die a cursed death that we deserve to die. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, hell, and proving that he was the only Savior. 
And at a certain point in our lives, and for all of us it has been different, at a certain point in our lives, the Holy Spirit applied the work of Christ's redemption to us. He gave us spiritual life. He gave us the gift of faith to believe in Jesus, to embrace him as the only savior of sinners. He did this for me and in me. I didn't do anything to to bring God's plan of salvation to fruition. As we said last week, I I didn't get punches on my heavenly punch card to get me into heaven. It's all his work. I did nothing. He did everything. Salvation, Paul says, is from God. Salvation is through God. And third, because this is true, Paul says all glory goes to God and to God alone. I can't take any credit for being a Christian. I can't say, you know, I was, I was smarter than others. I was better than others. I can't say that. I can never say that. Since God did it all, he is the one, he is the only one who receives all the glory. That is soli deo gloria. The heartbeat of the Reformation over 500 years ago is summarized in these five Latin slogans. Remember these slogans because they're important. Sola Scriptura, the Bible is our only infallible authority for faith and practice. Sola Gratia, I am saved by God's grace alone because by nature I am spiritually dead. Solus Christus, Christ is the the only and complete and perfect Savior. The gospel is never Jesus plus this. It is Jesus Christ alone. Sola fide, I, I make the work of Christ my own through faith alone. And therefore, the musical crescendo, Soli Deo Gloria, God, you alone deserve all the glory. That was the heartbeat of the Reformation 500 years ago. May it continue to be the heartbeat of Zion. In 2023, in the years to come, and when, by God's grace, there is a 50th anniversary for this church, may it still be the heartbeat of Zion. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and therefore, God, you receive all the glory. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for all that you have done for us in your grace. We thank you for your great plan of salvation. We thank you that you have brought that plan to fruition in our lives through the work of your spirit. And like Paul, when we, when we think on these things, when we meditate on these things, they do not leave us unmoved. They move us to say, what a God you are that you would do this for me. And so, Lord, as we wrap this series up this morning, 
We desire that you would receive all the glory and all the praise. May we proclaim this gospel wherever you place us. And by your spirit, may you use us as instruments of your grace. We pray.